0: Alright, tomorrow, August 21st marks uh, one year since you as a church uh, chose me to be your senior pastor. So we have made it through a year and uh, I was not trying to get applause, Um, mostly just saying the ship has not sunk, so thank you. Uh, Thank you for being with me and growing with me. Thank you for your encouragement and your support. Um, your kind words and your selfless service to our church, and so uh, it's been a great first year. Um, man, it's been my conviction from the very beginning that it's God's word that builds God's church. It's not, um, it's not any personality. It's not any person. Uh, and if it is, then it's probably on a shaky foundation. And um, so this. What God's doing here is not about me. It's not about any of us, really, to be honest. It's about what God wants to do through his word, right? It's his word that goes out and does not return void, Uh, not our words, not our uh, actions. So I'm excited to see us continue to grow uh, as disciples and as a church and see where God takes us. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about today in Luke chapter 10, talking about what it means for us to live on mission as Christ's followers. That's why our prayer focus was what it is. And David texts me, hey, can I announce this? I'm like, yeah, this is it. Yep, this, this is right in line with what we're talking about this week. Uh, this was not master plan, but this is where God brings us to this week, Luke chapter 10. So let's read it, verse 1 through 20. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word that is strong, and is true, and it does not return void. God, and I thank you for even sometimes hard-to-understand passages and difficult passages that that grate against us sometimes. God, we thank you for the truth of your word and, and the instruction in it for how we are to live. God, I pray this morning as we talk about what it means for us to live on mission, God, I pray that you would as Sammy said earlier, God, you would just give feet to our prayers. God, you would move us to action. God, whatever it is you've called us to do on this mission that you've given us, God, may we do it in your name and spreading your word and for your glory, God. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, when I first read this this week, uh, I thought, man, how do we talk about this as a church, right? Because there's some interesting parts of this, and I heard a Bible teacher say yesterday on the road, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, she said, said, um, uh, if something doesn't make sense in Scripture, we're probably just missing a key piece of information, right? Like once we have all the information and we understand their context, we understand what's going on, then it doesn't seem so confusing. And so I hope today that as we talk about this, I'm not going to touch on every little detail that seems confusing, uh, but there are legitimate pieces of information about their culture and about their society that helps us to understand. But maybe more today than digging into all the little details of how they went about their business, what's most important for us is to think about how we are to live on mission and what the Lord's instructions are for us. So let's, let's look at it in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, yours may say 70, and he sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Jesus is sending out 72, and we saw last week, if you were here, we talked about three woulda, coulda, shoulda disciples, and I gave them these very cringy nicknames. I can't even remember what they are this week, but I'm sure you do. Uh, And these woulda, coulda, shoulda disciples were unwilling to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus wherever he led But in contrast, Luke then starts this story about the 72 who were sent out. They were willing to take up their cross, deny themselves, and go where the Lord was sending them. And so Jesus sends them out. It's very similar to chapter 9. Cody talked about it a few weeks ago when Jesus sends out the disciples. And he gives them this this mission and this power, right? But Jesus now here doesn't just send out the 12 disciples. He sends out 72 others. And that's an important thing for us to notice. Yours may say 70. Some manuscripts say 72. It doesn't really matter. Jesus sent out a lot of them. And he didn't just send out the apostles. And that may seem like not a big deal, but it's important for us because we are all called to be and live on mission. Right? This is not just something for the 12. And it's not just something for pastors, it's, it's something for every single one of us to be about. We are all on mission. If you are a Christ follower, then you are on mission, right? And we talk about that in our church's mission statement, that we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, to his church, and to his cause, right? We want to see people that are far off from Christ first have a relationship with God. That's the starting place. But then we want to see him get connected to the church, be involved in life and fellowship and accountability. But then we, that's not the end goal is just to get a big crowd in this room. The point is to be living on mission and connecting others, right? And so that's what Jesus is doing. Now, how did he, he send them out? It says that he sent them ahead of him two by two into every town where he was about to go. So these 72, they were sent to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is on this journey from the north down to Jerusalem over months. And he's going to go to all these places. And they're called to go and prepare the people for Jesus' coming. This is very similar to what John the Baptist was called to do. What did he come to do? To prepare the way of the Lord, right? And he came to call people to repentance because the Messiah was coming. And that's what these 72 are doing. They're going into these villages that have not had a visit from Jesus. And they're saying, the kingdom of God is here. The Messiah has come to rescue us. That's what they're going to do, to proclaim the word of the Lord. And it tells us that he sent them two by two. Uh, is this like? Is this just fun because we that happened in the ark? Right, animals came on two by two. Is this just a biblical funny thing? No, I don't think so. I think there's two real reasons. One uh, was community, right? One was accountability and, and connectedness to someone else, right? There was there was uh, a need for a support system. They weren't just to go out and do this by themselves. No, they went out in partnerships. They went out because they needed help from other people, but actually the reason is so much bigger than that. It's not just this, like, this is a better situation. In order for these towns to accept the message in Jewish law, the only way the witness, the testimony of a witness was acceptable is if it was attested by at least, how many people? Two. So if one person showed up in the town and said, hey, The Messiah has come. He's done all these amazing things. They weren't going to listen, right? They needed two witnesses to show up and say, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him do this. We've seen him raise the dead to life. We've seen him rescue people from demon oppression and all this stuff. And because there were two witnesses proclaiming the same thing, they were much more likely to listen. And so Jesus sent them two by two so that he would remove any stumbling block that might be in the way. This is their task, that they're there to go. Let's look at it, verse 2. Jesus is going to... And we're going we're to try to bring this back to us, okay? We're not going to dwell so much on the cultural context. I'm going I'm to try to speak in today's language a bit more uh, and not deal with all the cultural context of this. Um, We can talk about that more after if you want. But look at verse 2. He's going to describe to them how they are to live on mission. Their instructions for living on mission. And he says, He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay, so the first instruction for us, for them and for us in living on mission, is that we are to be moved by compassion. We are to be moved by compassion. This is why Sammy read the passage from Matthew earlier, this similar story. And it tells us that Jesus looked out on the crowds and he said what? His heart was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? Jesus looks at them and he is moved with compassion and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers, right? So for us, we must be moved by compassion. People are not projects. People have dignity and worth and value in the eyes of the king. So we are not just trying to accomplish outreach so that we can check off the box and say, we visited every door in Huntington, Texas. By all means, let's do that. But if we're not moved by compassion, then we're not living out the mission that God has given us. We're meant to look out and be moved by compassion. He says the harvest is plentiful. It's, it's interesting to think the, the problem is not that, the, that there's not been rain and there's not been seed planted and there's not been growth and sunlight. He says, no, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of wheat out there to go and get. The problem is we don't have enough workers, right? And some of you who are employers right now are saying the exact same thing in our society, right? The problem is not that we don't have work to do. is that we can't get good people that can do it, Right? And Jesus says the same thing for us, that we are to go to the harvest. The harvest refers to the wheat, but it also refers to a harvest of the weeds and the tares that Jesus is going to talk about, right? He said, let them both grow up, and in the end, they'll all be harvested and we'll separate them into the good and the bad. And that moves us to compassion, right? Because we look out and we say, I don't know where this person is going to spend eternity. I don't know if this person is saved or not. And I want to make sure. And that compassion for other people moves us to go. So that's first, right? Our first instruction for living on mission is to be moved by compassion. To be honest, this one's hard for me. I don't have a lot of compassion, naturally. My wife does, and I am challenged by that all the time. It's so easy for me not to be moved by compassion, but out of a a to-do list or out of an obligation. But we're called to be moved internally. Second, our second instruction for living on mission is to pray for laborers. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't pray for people to be saved, right? Jesus is not saying only pray for workers, don't pray for the person that you're interacting with. That's that's not it. But Jesus does specifically tell us to pray for this. God, send out more people into your harvest. God, raise up more men and women to go and proclaim the gospel to the nations. And here in Huntington, Texas, this is a prayer that we should be praying. The harvest is ready. We just need people to go and get it. We just need people to go and do it. And so we're meant to be a praying people. Look at the third one, verse 3. The third instruction for living on mission is to prepare for opposition. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if Jesus told me that today as he sent me out. I don't really know how encouraging that would sound, right? I think in, in some ways that would make me a little more hesitant to even go because, wait, wait, I'm a lamb, there's wolves out there, right? But we must recognize and we must be prepared for the opposition that we will face. If you've ever tried to go and just walk up to a stranger, if you've ever tried to go to a friend or a family member and, and have a spiritual conversation, how many of you in the room, just show of hands, have been rejected? Anybody? Been kind of shut down? And, and I think the rest of you who didn't raise your hand probably have experienced something similar. We do face opposition. There is spiritual forces at work. The enemy does not want us to be about this mission. He wants to distract us with all kinds of other things. But we must be prepared. We should not be surprised. We will not experience 100% success. We will not. We, we can go and give people the good news. We, we talked about a middle school life group this morning how Jesus literally raises a man from the dead. And some of these people decide in that moment not to believe in him, but to reject him and to try to kill him, right? So, so we're not going to experience 100% success, but Jesus tells us we must endure through rejection. Why? Because there are people who will hear and will respond. Because there is wheat amongst the tares. Because there are those who are sons of peace, as he's going to talk about in a sec. It is worth going and being rejected because some will hear the good news. So we must prepare for that opposition. Fourth, look at verse 4. Our fourth instruction for living on mission is to trust in God's provision. Is to trust in God's provision. Look at verse 4. He says, Carry no money no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. We just went on a little trip with my kids, and my wife wrote out a packing list for the kids and handed it to them, like pictures, you know, because some of them can't read. And do you know how many of them actually brought what, what she wrote on the paper? Yeah, none, none of them. There was no extra underwear to be found in any of the bags. Jesus gives them a list here, and he says, carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, no sandals, and greet nowhere on the road. What is this about? What, what, is, what is he saying, Right? Jesus, remember the story last week? One of the Woodacudder disciples is saying he wants his father's inheritance before he's really willing to follow Jesus. He wants to have a secure life. He wants to know all the answers and have it all figured out. And Jesus is saying, No. Your provision is not in how much you bring to the table, your provision is not in how much your bank account is, or how smart you are, or how many answers you have right. He says, I am your provision. We are to learn to trust in in Jesus' provision as we go about this. Jesus is challenging these guys because this would not have been normal to not bring a money bag, a knapsack, sandals, and to not greet on the road. He's challenging them to trust that his way is better. Now, this is somewhat unique. Jesus is not telling us today to empty our bank accounts and to get rid of that extra pair of sandals and knapsack that we have. That's not it at all. But the principle is still the same for us today, no matter where we're at. As we live on mission, we have to learn to trust in God's provision. We have to learn to be dependent on him to lead us, to guide us, to speak through us. Maybe sometimes they even provide for our needs when we don't know where that's going to come from. We must trust that God is going to take care of us if we're about his mission. The point is, it's not always going to make sense to the world. The world says, pack a knapsack, a money bag, an extra pair of sandals, right? But Jesus says, no, trust me. Trust me, I'll take care of you if you go about what I told you to do. That's number four. We must learn to trust in God's provision. Number five, the fifth instruction for living on mission is for us to be about the main thing, to preach and to live out the gospel. Now, it's, it's both. It's our words and our actions. It's to preach, proclaim, to tell, to say, and to live it out. Right. So let's look at it. Look at the example in verse five. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom kingdom of God has come near to you. And so the first thing Jesus tells them to do, when you go into a town, what are they to do? They are to find a person of peace. Uh, This was true for us in Africa. I'm looking for cricket. I don't see her. Uh, this was true for us in Africa when we went to the, the, the villages originally. You have to go into this place and find somebody that is a person of peace. Somebody that's open and willing to hear and receive uh, the message. And if you don't find that person, then you're not going to be welcome in the village and you can't stay. Now, for us, what this means is we have to lead with the gospel, right? Because that's what he says. Proclaim peace. Proclaim the message of peace. And if somebody receives that, then they receive you and you can stay there. He's telling them that primarily our mission is about proclaiming peace peace it's about preaching the good news of the gospel it's about making disciples winning people to the lord however we say it whatever those words are that is the primary mission how we go about that what that looks like is going to be different sometimes it's food ministry sometimes it's kids sometimes it's outreach sometimes it's recovery sometimes it's all sorts of different like externals but the primary mission, the primary aim is to proclaim peace. They're simply called to do that. But he also gives them some actions that they're to do. Now these are unique to them. I don't believe that each one of us has been given this power to heal today. But he tells them and he's given them this power. To, we know to cast out demons and to heal. And he tells them to do that. And so what was the point of doing those things? It was to validate the message of peace that they had proclaimed. They are to not only preach the gospel, but they are to live it out. And so the same is true for us. The same is true for us. That we're to proclaim the gospel and we're to live it out. The worst thing we can do is to proclaim a message that we are not living out. Nothing undercuts the mission more than that. Saying one thing with our mouth and living a totally different way. If we're going to live on mission, we have to be real, authentic, genuine people. That doesn't mean we're perfect it doesn't mean that we have it all together, but that means that the message that we proclaim and the good news that we claim on our life, that Jesus died to save me, a sinner who did not deserve it, means that we also have to live that out and extend that grace to other people. Do you see this? We can't just have our words say one thing and our lives another. But the opposite is also true, amen? We can't just say we, we're going to live out our faith and never have our words say anything right our 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 actions lead to words as well they go hand in hand so we must be dedicated to preaching and living out the gospel look at verse 10 we're only halfway through we gotta hurry verse 10 he says let me just give you the instruction first the sixth instruction for living on mission is to handle rejection with grace to handle rejection with grace. Here's, here's the extended example. Verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, this is the instruction, is to learn to handle rejection with grace. When people reject us, when we try to have a spiritual conversation, when we try to invite them to church, when we try to include them in what God is doing in the good news, and they reject us, understand this, that they are not just rejecting us. Really, they're rejecting Christ. Don't take it personal. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about what you could have done differently. No, ultimately they're rejecting Christ. Now, rejection tempts us because it tempts us because we know we're gonna face rejection. It tempts us to water down the message. It tempts us to change how we approach the situation, maybe even pulling back. Let's don't even talk about sin a whole lot. Let's just talk about love a whole lot. And, and, and rejection tempts us to, to change. It tempts us to, to alter our methods. But Jesus tells them here, when you're rejected, you're to do this this thing. And we're not going to deal with all the specifics of it. But basically, when they're rejected, what are they to do? Go in the streets and double down. Go in the streets, wipe your feet off, proclaim the good news so that everyone can hear, and then move on. Jesus is saying, you have to learn to handle rejection. Not by watering down the truth. Not by by changing your message. No, no. Staying true to it, and calling them to repentance, right? And Jesus compares these; these he gives this comparison of three different towns. If you don't; you may not know where these places are. I didn't look them up on a map, but three of them are Jewish places: Chorazin, uh, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he speaks negatively of those three, and he speaks of three non-Jewish places: Sodom. Tyre and Sidon. In the Jewish world, if you said the name Sodom, what do you think of? God's judgment against sin, vile sin. When you say Tyre and on, the same thing is true. So they viewed these three places as the most evil, maybe it's, it's closest to how we would think of Vegas, right? When I say Vegas, what do you think of? Some of you are like, oh, good shows, good buffets. <laughs> No, that's not what I'm talking about. When we say Vegas, everybody knows what we're talking about. And there, it's no different for them. And what does Jesus say? He says, it's more bearable for you in Sodom and Tyre and Sidon than it is for you Jewish cities of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida. Because what I did here. I didn't do there, but some of you have seen the good news, but you haven't responded to it. It's more bearable for these people who are open and honest about their sin than you who have heard this good news over and over and over and you still haven't repented. It's a stark example for these. But it's important for us to realize that not everybody will respond. And we must learn to handle rejection with grace. Don't be tempted to call down fire from heaven like James and John and Peter did last week or wanted to. Don't be tempted to change your message, to change the truth because you got rejected, because you got turned away. No, double down and handle it with grace. Proclaim the truth full of grace. Look at verse 17. The last instruction that Jesus gives them for living on mission, is to boast in God, not our resume. It's to boast in God, not our resume. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, what happens is these 72, they come back and they are stoked, right? They are rejoicing. They are full of joy. Why? Because they saw incredible things. They saw demons be cast out. They saw lives being changed. They saw all sorts of things that were unbelievable that God did through them. And so they are they are stoked. And they come back talking about this. And Jesus takes a minute and he rejoices with them. He says, uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Every time you proclaim the gospel and somebody repented, it it was like Satan was falling down again. His power was diminishing. He was losing control over people. And he says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. This does not mean today that you should go try to walk on a snake. Okay? This doesn't mean that nothing will ever hurt you. What is he talking about? He's saying the serpent is a, is a picture of the enemy, right? A scorpion is another picture of evil in the enemy. He's not saying you physically walked on serpents and scorpions and nothing ever hurt you. We know that's not true because all of these guys died as martyrs. He's saying what? That the power of God and the kingdom of God is stronger than the kingdom of darkness. And as you go and proclaim the gospel, yeah, you may experience some hurt, some rejection on this earth. But in the end, nothing will hurt you. And so Jesus takes this moment and he celebrates with them. Then he says in verse 20, he says, don't, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, you didn't do any of that. I'm the one who did that through you. Quit, quit bo- boosting your resume talking about how great you are because I am the one who did that. He's telling them that their joy is to be found in their relationship with God. Not in all that they did for God. Not in their resume of good works. Their list of committees and volunteer assignments in the church. Like, that is not your resume. That's not something to boast in. What are we supposed to boast in? That our names are written in heaven. That we've been forgiven. That we've been shown mercy. That we've been saved. That we've been rescued from darkness. And nothing will hurt us. That is true joy. Not all the ministry accomplishment, not all the resume here. These were the instructions he gave the disciples. And for us, again, I, I struggled this week because it's how do we connect this to us? There's so many ways that, that we need to learn from each one of these, these instructions. We talk about the word calling so many times. I feel called to do this. I feel called to the ministry. I feel called to lead in this way. I feel called to that. And that's good, right? We ought to feel some sense of calling to ministry, to mission. God's made us all unique, right? Not every single one of us is going to go out on Wednesday nights and interact with strangers, right? Or interact with guests to our church. Not every one of us is going to serve in the children's Today, teaching kids, not everybody's going to work with youth, but we are all called to live on mission together. Maybe you live on mission by teaching a youth small group on Wednesday nights, investing in the same kids for year after year, teaching them the, the truth of God's word. Maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're teaching your kids the, the Bible. You're exposing them to worship. You're exposing them to true, authentic relationship with God. Maybe you live on mission by serving on the outreach team. They need people. We just heard that. (laughs) Maybe you do it through the food pantry, loving the community people that come through. Maybe you serve uh, by getting involved in community activities like t-ball and baseball and boards of different things. And inviting those people into your home and getting to know them and pointing them to Jesus. Maybe you live on mission by teaching and serving in all the places that we have that going on in our church. Maybe you go to Africa. Maybe you actually go and share the good news of Jesus with those who have never heard it. Or you go to the border and you you serve and love those who are nobody in our culture. Maybe you use... Maybe you live on mission by being a gospel influence in your classroom, teachers, or in your office, or in your work truck, or at the lunch table every week at work. Maybe that's how you live on mission. Maybe it's by opening your home to strangers, or to orphans, or to neighbors, and showing them the love of Christ. Maybe it's by getting involved in a sport, making connections with people in order to win them over to Jesus, to show them compassion and love. Maybe it's your life group that gets together and does an outreach so that you can invite other people to. Maybe it's by praying. Maybe it's by giving. And we could go on and on and on. The point today is not, hey, everybody join the outreach team. The point today is you are on mission. Are you about it? Are you doing what God has called you to do, where he's called you to be? If you're not... Let's get some feet to our prayers. Let's get some movement going forward, realizing God has placed us in a specific place at a specific time, and let's see the people that are in front of us this week. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, I thank you, God, that somebody cared about us enough to come and teach us your word, to tell us the good news. God, I pray that we would be people just like you that who go and proclaim the gospel to others and that doesn't have to look like interacting with strangers on wednesday night god it it might be by inviting someone to lunch or accepting an invite to lunch or being a part of a team or or going to a specific place and and loving people there god i pray that our compassion and our heart for people would move us to action god God, I pray that you would be with us as a church, God, as we live on mission together. You've given us so many people and so many gifts and so many talents and personalities, God. God, I pray that we would not waste those on our own efforts and our own pursuits, God, but that we would go and be about the main thing, proclaiming the gospel and living out the gospel. And so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.